Hey, if you're a kid, get up, man. You're going with Ashley and JJ, and, and this is their thing, man. So they're going down with the kids today, and uh, um, praise God for what God does with them on Wednesdays with the kids. And um, that is, that is the, the vision. We planted a church that's going to plant churches, and one of the church plants is going to be up at North Beach at some point, and that's Ashley and JJ and Terry and Fernando. All the, they, they, we use their house right now and just kind of becoming a lighthouse to that island and praise God for what they're doing. Um, another thing, Zane preached a couple weeks ago, and, and, and I'm not trying to be his Holy Spirit, because I'm just sharing with you what's kind of working. God brought Zane from another church and brought him. He's very gifted. You got to hear him preach a couple weeks ago, and God used him in a mighty way. And um, I shared something over at lunch that, man, God's been working on me for, for since wintertime. There was this boat that was just run aground up on an island that looked like a little floating country church that ever since God showed it to me, I've had a vision that we're supposed to have a boat like that and plant a church on it. Wouldn't that be awesome to have a church planted and people show up at the marina, they get on board, they go off and anchor and other boats come and, you know, kind of anchor up on that. And that, I believe God's going to do that at one point. And because if you've ever doubted about how unchurched this area is, go out to the, any one of the coves or inlets, go out to any of the islands today, right now, and you will see it's loaded. And again, it's not trying to infiltrate on people's peace or space, but um, the bottom line is, is that, you know, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, yeah, this is my church, this is my church. And again, it's not trying to, we're not trying to blast them out or anything, but I know that God's putting in our heart to plant a church out in something like that. And up in the cove, Zane grew up in the cove, drinking beer and partying and flipping, showing people, you know, like yes, Zane. people, right? right Zane? Zane, Zane grew up doing all of that, man. And, and, and Zane gave his life to Christ and God has got a hold of Zane. And so when I started sharing that vision, God started, it, he started working and and I thought I'd get to kind of pastor the boat, you know, but, but, and, but, but God, uh, that's not the plan. God's working in his heart. And, and Zane's like, yeah, maybe we just take my boat. Maybe we just get up on the island and we start preaching. Right now, be praying because God, uh, again, just like with Abraham, when Ab God told Abraham he called him, it didn't mean he immediately left. He immediately made plans to leave. He immediately started seeking God's will and surrendered. And I believe that's what Zane's done. Zane, you scared? You're a little dude. You had no idea. And that's why God has you still sitting right here, man. We have no idea how this is going to work out or whatever. But, dude, be praying because I believe God wants to use Zane. to. They remember when Zane, all those people out on the cove remember when Zane didn't have Christ, man. And Zane God wants to do nothing more than just share Christ with them. Make disciples. That's it. And uh, that's what that church will look like out there. And then later on, God brought us Seth and Sharla and, and the blessing that they've been in. They uh, were called into the ministry, called into uh, 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 Seth is finishing up his uh, Master of Divinity at Liberty University. And uh, it's her degree, too, actually. And, uh, and, and so finishing up that. And their calling is here, right in Jensen Beach. You guys know I live in Fort Pierce. I love this place. I love here. But this is their, man, where God has called them. They, they used to have residents in Boston and Houston and whatever. Now you have, what, where are your driver's license from? Florida, man. They live right over across the bridge. They're, they're, they're here. They're, they're the parson for this area. You live in this area and you need to hear something spiritual. These guys are available. And come here, let me show you one of the big things that has changed. Because at first, Seth couldn't, he, he's not barefoot yet, but 
Yeah, and if you notice, he's starting to lose his Q-tip tan, okay? You, you know what a Q-tip tan is when people move here and they just kind of have socks, you know? And, and, and he was uncomfortable because, you know, just didn't want everybody to think his, his toenails look like corn chips, right? And he's, he's worked on, man, he's, he's got the almost barefoot flip-flop look down. Charlotte, thank you for working on him on that, you know? So, but, but this is their place. God has called them to this area. To, to minister, to help people see life from God's perspective. And as a pastor that he's brought these folks, I'm scared because I don't know what all this looks like, but I'm not scared because I don't have to. I can't wait to see what God's going to do with all of this. The impact that little driftwood that started about this time a year, four years ago, is going to get to have in this world and already is because of you guys and the people that are, are, are so transient in this. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. But... Today, we're going to see what's going to happen. And Seth, uh, this is a preaching assignment for your thing, but you know way for your degree, but way more than that. Dude, God wants to use you to speak to us. So I can't wait to hear what he's going to say. Love you, bro. All right, man. Love you, too. Everyone hear me? Yep. I was told to wear a microphone because I get a little soft-spoken sometimes and I get intense. So, all of my dignity is gone now. He made me fly like an eagle a couple weeks ago, and now he talked about my Q-tip feet, so that's taken care of. But, you know, today we're going to preach on, uh, we're going to preach on Hebrews 11, verses 12 through 16. God gave me an illustration for this right out of the shoot, because I was talking to Eddie, and uh, he said, I want, you to, I want you to take a look at these verses, I want you to take a look at the verses that precede, and you know, tell me what God puts on your heart to, to preach. And, you know, I'm looking at him, and I, I, I looked at verse 12, and, you know, the, the, we, we preach expositionally here, which means that we start in a book of the Bible, and we go verse by verse. And if there's a hard verse, you've got to preach on that hard verse. And that's good, because you walk through a whole book, and you get to see what God has to say every single verse. So this block of verses here, verses 12 through 16, I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, man, I, I see what 12 does. But I don't understand how that goes with 13. And I see how 13 and 14 and 15 go, but that doesn't go with 16. I have to preach on this. I don't know what to do. And so I said, God, Jesus, how do these verses work? What is it? And it was just, it was absolutely mind-blowing. I went from looking at a white canvas to a Monet. And all the details were filled in. Everything was there. It was a perfect picture of salvation. And so I excitedly texted Eddie and I said, I got it. I know what it is. I know what it is. It's, it's go big or go home. And I described it a little bit to him and he said, no, 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 no. It's go big and go home. And I'm like, yes, that's it. That's it. So that's the genesis of, uh, of, of that right there. These verses are, they're, they're mind blowing. It's, it's, it's a picture of your salvation. It's a picture of your justification. It's a picture of your sanctification. It's a picture of your glorification. So we are today, we are going to get saved. We're going to walk with God. We're going to blow up the world. And then we're going to go to heaven. Ready? Yeah. Right. Let's do it. Yeah. So a couple weeks ago, it was a Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I, I had to go back up to Boston. I was going to, I went to a wedding. And, uh, and, and rent car rental prices were, were tripled. And it just it put it out of my price range. And so my mother graciously um, offered to loan me her car. 
and, uh, and, and that was great. So I borrowed her car. She's got this brand spanking new Subaru. I don't drive a new car. I haven't driven a new car in a long time. Um, and it's, a, it's a super nice car. I had to drive into Boston. So as, as I'm driving along, I noticed that this light kept on appearing in, 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 the, passenger, uh, in, in the passenger mirror. And it, I realized, oh, that's that new blind spot detection technology thing. That's kind of cool. I almost crashed the car looking at the light. That's really neat. And I'm like, oh, wow. It's, it's on the other side, too. That's, wow, that's far up. You know, you're not going to hit the car that's coming up next to you when I see a blind spot. That's neat. So I'm driving along, and then all of a sudden I hear, ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, whoa, what's up? You know, because, I mean, when you're in a car and something dings, it, 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 it makes you nervous. And, and this thing, this light pops up and says, lane departure, lane departure, lane departure. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I put my phone down. No, <laughs> don't text me drive. And so I, you know, I, I was over the line. I'm like, man, this is amazing. Yeah? And, and then you know, a little while later, I'm heading into Boston, and, and, and I did it again. And this time, it's lane departure, lane departure, ding, 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 ding. And I looked, and I, sure enough, I was close to the right-hand lane. And so, you know, I'm, I'm cruising along. I don't know if you've ever driven in Boston, but it's, um, it's a test of your salvation. Uh, yeah, so there's cars going fast and slow, whatever. And, and, uh, and, and so I, I would get close to a car, and then it would go, ding, 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 ding. You're too close to the car in front of you. And then, and then I would stop at, at a light, and in Boston, you, you know, it's sort of an unwritten rule where you can, like, the next three cars after a red light can go. It's just an unwritten rule. And so, you know, I'm stopped at the light, and I'm a Floridian now, so I don't like to do that. And so the car in front of me went, and I, I stayed there, and there was this thing, ding, 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 the car in front of you has departed. <laughs> wow, this is amazing. And so, driving, uh, on, on I-93, I put the cruise control on, right? And uh, it, I'm thinking, this is a brand new car. How does this work, right? So I, I fiddled with it a little bit, and, and I got the cruise control working. And then all of a sudden, it started slowing down. And I'm like, I must not have hit the right button. And so I hit the button again, and it went. And then I'm driving along, and the car starts slowing down again. And then it started, that's fine, right? If you got cruise control on and the car slows down, that's no big deal. But when you got cruise control on and the car starts to accelerate, that's, that, that can make you nervous, right? And I realized, whoa, this must be that newfangled, fancy, uh, automatic cruise control thing, right? It was sensing the car in front of me and automatically slowing the car down. And then it was getting back up to speed when the car in front of me was gone. It's like, wow. And so after all this, um, I'm driving along and I knew I had to preach today and I knew what the topic was. Um, I knew the topic was, was, was on faith, and I realized the manufacturer of this automobile has absolutely no faith whatsoever in the ability of the driver. No faith whatsoever. And, and I'm thinking, you know what? What does God think about us, you know? This is God driving along. I don't know if he drives a car or not, but this is him driving along. You know, does he hear, ding, 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 ding. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Or, ding, 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 ding. God, this is happening too fast. This is happening too fast. Or, ding, 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 ding. God, this isn't happening fast enough. It's not happening fast enough. You know, are, are, we, are we dinging God? I do it. I do it all the time. Yeah, it's, 
So what, what is faith? You know, what is faith? When, when God hears that, you know, he, he says, wait, this is not the system that I installed. The system that I installed says, be still and know that I am God. The system that I installed is, is based on faith. You know, and I think, that, I think that we forget that sometimes. So when you ask God for something, do you truly believe that he's going to deliver on that? Or are you just asking kind of off the cuff, you know? Or, or a more difficult question. When someone who is not a believer asks something of God, do you think that God hears them? Faith is to prayer as plumbing, as pipes are to plumbing, right? What happens if you don't have any pipes, you know? you got to have faith to pray. You know, Jesus, Jesus tells us in, in John 14, 13 through 14, I don't have the scripture up there, but he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In my name. I think Ashley just sang that. You know, why? Why in the name of Jesus? What happens to a, to a letter if you don't put a stamp on it? It gets returned to sender, right? You know? I mean, think about prayer. Think about, think about that stamp as being the stamp of faith. Putting your Jesus stamp on a letter. God knows the intent of your heart. That's not to say that you have to magically have an incantation that says every prayer has to end in Jesus' name. But it's got to be on your heart. You know? God has to know that it is He that you are talking to through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, there are... There are this, Endless scripture. Um, what we want to talk about today is what does faith do for you, right? We want we want to grab something practical out of this message. So, what does faith do for you? And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 15, verse 28. And what we'll do is, like I said, there there are so many examples of this, and so many examples of Jesus telling us that we need to pray in His name. So many examples of Jesus telling us that that uh, that that He is He is the way, He is the life, He is the truth. But if you if you look at this particular story, it's it's the faith of the Canaanite woman. This is the one I want to bring out. Uh, it starts in Matthew fifteen twenty one, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came up and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. There are countless examples of that uh, throughout scripture. Uh, let's see. So this brings us to our, 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 our definition of faith, right? At the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of chapter 11 in Hebrews, um, the writer to the letter of the Hebrews, defines faith. He says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith does for you. 
Faith saves you. Again, Jesus says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Same thing in Mark. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. You getting the idea here? Matthew 15, 28. We just went over this. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And then we have James 1, 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So what does faith do for you? Believers are saved through faith. And now we get to our, uh, our, our, our text for the, for, for the message today, which starts in Hebrews 11, 12. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So the, uh, the, the, I like the way the message translation translates this. It says, from one man with his shriveled loins. Yeah, we, we, learned, we learned last week from JJ that, uh, that when God came to uh, Abraham and told him that, uh, that, that Sarah would, uh, would have uh, Isaac the next year, that he was 99 years old and she was 90. You know, I mean, this is, uh, this is seemingly an, an impossible thing. Uh, but here's the deal. This promise was made decades earlier, right? So it, it's, it's, it's amazing looking at the folks who live in, who, who, are, who are written about in the Hall of Faith, because they are such imperfect people. And it, it, it makes me realize that me with my imperfect faith, I have a shot. This is, this is incredible. You know, if you, if you think about Abraham, you know, uh, JJ talked last week about, uh, about Abraham and, and Sarai, that, uh, that Abraham not once, but twice, passed off Sarai, Sarah, as his sister, because he was afraid that he wasn't going to be protected. He was afraid that he was going to be killed by Pharaoh. He was afraid. He was protecting his own skin, and so he was misrepresenting his wife. He actually passed her off to another man for that reason. Um, and then we come to, uh, this is God driving again. Ding, 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 ding. God looks down, and he sees the Abraham and Sarah light going off. You know? God, this isn't happening fast enough. This isn't happening fast enough. Abraham and, and Sarah knew of the promise of God. They knew that their descendants would be as numerous as the sands of, 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 the, of, the, sea, of the seashore and of the stars in the sky. But it wasn't happening fast enough for them. So, you know, this, this promise came initially to Abraham when he was 75, and by 85, Sarah had had enough. She was like, you know what? We're going to take care of things. So, in, in the ancient Near East, they had the concept of surrogacy, much like we do today, except they didn't have the benefit of um, all the various and sundry medical tools that we have. So, uh, the way that it worked was exactly the way you think it worked. So, Sarah gave her husband to her servant, and they conceived, and, and Abraham fathered a child. And, you know... You know what happened from that. You can guess what happened from that. Uh, Sarah wasn't happy. Hagar, uh, her, the, the servant, was, was persecuted as a result. Uh, Ishmael, the progeny, was, was shunned. And, you know, bad things happened as a result of that. But that's an example of, of, their, of their imperfect faith. But what God promised, what God promised here in Genesis 15, 5 through 6, is 
in my mind, one of the most astounding verses in, in all of the Bible. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here it comes. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is Abraham. Abraham believed. Abraham had faith in what the Lord was saying. This is 430 years, when we look at the book of Galatians, we know this exact number, 430 years before the law. The law doesn't save, but it's 430 years before the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's 1,800 years before the birth of Jesus. 1,800 years. And yet, because Abraham believed the Lord, God counted it to him as righteousness. That same righteousness that we have when we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That is what is so incredible. What does faith do for you? It saves you. When you call on the name of Jesus, when you believe that he is Lord, when you believe that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. God sees you as righteous. He sees you as he saw Abraham because Abraham believed. So, how do I, how do I get this faith? You know, is there a magic incantation? Is there something I can do? Can I, can I will it? What do I do? How do I... How do I get faith? Well, what does faith do for you? Believers walk in faith. We've heard time and time and time again as we have moved through the book of Hebrews that the way that we increase our faith is by being obedient. And how are we obedient? We're obedient by obeying the word of God. So this, this is our whole, this is sanctification. So we have justification where we are seen now as righteous in the eyes of the Lord. And we have sanctification. Sanctification is that, is that trudging, that moving along, that what do I do, Lord, and then do it? What do I do, Lord, and then do it? What do I do, Lord, and then do it? When I, uh, I, was, I was saved uh, a little over four years ago. And the day that I was saved, I, I picked up, my wife's life application Bible, and I started reading, and I, I devoured that thing. I read every single verse, I read every single note on every single verse, and in two months, I had gone through the whole thing, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and I wanted more, I was hungry, I wanted more and more and more. But then I, I realized something, that the version of the Bible that, that I was reading, was the New Revised Standard Edition. And I, I realized that, well, wait a minute, there's an English Standard Version, and there's a King James Version, and there's a New King James Version, and there's all these different versions, so maybe, maybe some guys got together and, and, and they just kind of made some of this stuff up. You know, I mean, they can't, it can't there's, there's no way that all this stuff says the same thing. And so I figured out that the original text was, was written in Greek. And so, naturally, I went to learn Greek. So I found this online Greek course, and, uh, and I, started, I started learning Greek, and I went through the first semester, and I went through the second semester, and I went through the third semester, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, wow, 
wow, this is amazing, this is incredible, this stuff is what it says. And I learned all sorts of fantastic historical stuff, like, you know, there's 5,465 fragments that we have, this is before the printing press, of the New Testament, and they all say the same thing, written at different times, thousands of years old, I'm just blown away by it. So, naturally, the next thing I want to do is, you know, I'm, I'm also at the same time, I'm, I'm reading... I'm reading all sorts of Christian apologetics books and stuff like that, but I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't have anyone in my life to, to, to speak the truth into my life. I don't have anyone in my life to, 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 to guide me and, and to show me what to do. So I really want to learn Greek. That's all I want to do. I want to learn Greek so I can read this thing, the New Testament. I want to be able to read Greek. And I want to be able to understand this. So uh, my mother-in-law went to a Christian university to get her PhD in Liberty. And my brother-in-law went to Liberty to get his undergrad at a Christian university. And so I figured, okay, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Liberty, and maybe these people can lead me along and teach me Greek so that I can, I can read this thing. And so I'm looking online, and I see that there is indeed an offering for Greek. And it's this program called a Master of Divinity. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, uh, I guess I'll take that one since they offer Greek. I had no idea that it was four years of, I don't mean to dissuade anyone who wants to do this, but four years of rock pile labor. I mean, it, 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 I, I would have run for the hills if I had known that. But he gave me just enough faith to take that step and to learn Greek. To take that step and to learn Systematic theology and Hebrew and you, know, you name it. It's it just it, amazing, amazing education. But here's how dumb I was. Or, or here's, here's, how, here's how God used me and, and my dumbness. Two weeks into my studies, I turned to Sharla and I said, Is this a seminary? Okay. And she said, yeah, it's, it's a seminary. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> so all of a sudden I'm feeling unworthy and all this stuff. But you know what? God used that. And, and you know, I, I, I trudged along. And four years later, um, here I am uh, at Driftwood at, preaching a sermon to you. Uh, you know, I, it just, it's, it's, because, it's because I took that step in faith. And it's not any faith. It, that was not of me, you know. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. I didn't do it. He gave me that tiny little bit of faith that I needed, and he's been increasing it ever so slowly. I love uh, Romans 12.3. This is my paraphrase. Uh, the measure of a Christian. What is the measure of a Christian? Anybody know what the measure of a Christian is? The measure of a Christian is in his faith. And that only the faith that is apportioned to you by God. That's it. You know, we can't, we can't get more of it. But what does faith do for you? We walk in it. And when we walk in it, we get more. He gives us more and more and more. So, let's see. Finally got the up and down buttons, right? So Hebrews 11.13, the next verse here, says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. See, 
they have the same problem. These are the patriarchs. These are, these are people who lived 1,800 years before the birth of Christ. Do some simple math. That's a long time ago. That's thousands and thousands of years ago. But they knew. They knew something. They knew they had the one true God. And so what they had was they, they, they saw life. They were helping each other see life from God's perspective. They saw through a mirror dimly. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But they knew that they wanted. They, they knew they wanted to please this God. They knew that they wanted to. Uh, they knew that they wanted to obey Him. So they sort of had. Um, it's like it's like having a, a thousand-piece puzzle and not having the box top. That's what they had, you know. But they had the faith to know that they that they could put this together. They knew. They knew. Abraham left the land of of Ur, and he spent 225 years in the land of Haran, and God called him out of there. They walked through Mesopotamia. They went to Canaan. He lived in Canaan. But he knew. The patriarchs knew that their home, their home was not in Ur. Their home was not anywhere in Mesopotamia. Their, their, their home wasn't in Canaan. Their home wasn't on the planet Earth. These people knew that. Their home was in heaven. And what is extraordinary about this is that the letter to the, the, the writer to the letter of the writer of the letter to the Hebrews lets us know this, sort of gives us this, this amazing glimpse into, into the insight that the, uh, that the patriarchs had. And what we have is beyond imagination. What is in my left hand here is something that angels longed to have. We have this thing called progressive revelation. As you read this book, as you go from Genesis through Revelation, you have something that no one else had. You have something incredible. Think about this. If you live 750 BC, everything seems pretty cool. Everything seems good, right? Israel's intact, and you know the northern and the southern kingdom are good, and you know things seem like they're all right. But then you've got this prophet Isaiah who's saying, mm -mm, "Nope, things are not so good, and the northern kingdom is going to be destroyed, and the Assyrians are going to take you away, and so on and so forth." And everybody's like, "Nah, I don't think so." Well, guess what happened? It happened. And then Jeremiah prophesies the, the, the destruction of the southern kingdom. And guess what happened? That happened. They didn't have this book. This is progressive revelation. This is God showing us the bits and pieces at a time, giving us those puzzle pieces, and allowing us to put together that magnificent mosaic that is his picture of salvation history for us, for you. So we have all these prophets in here. And they're prophesying the birth of the Messiah. Well, guess what we have? We have the Messiah. We're on this side of the cross. And it's all written here. Guess what else we have? We have Revelation all the way through the book of Revelation. We know how this story ends. It's in your hands. I like to think of it as, you know, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone to whom God speaks to reveal his plans for mankind. As a Christian, you've got this book, and you can tell people this wonderful message that God has given to us. It's that just read this book, people. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's incredible. Verse 14 here. Oh, sorry. So 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, by the way, uh, says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So in the New Testament here, right, Peter is writing 
to the churches, to us. And he's saying, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And inquire carefully. Inquiring what the person or time, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, you, you people who are sitting in these seats, me, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. God even prevented his angels in heaven from seeing the revelation of Jesus Christ before his birth. It's, it's, it's incredible. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't give us the exact picture, but he told us that a Savior was coming. So if we move ahead here to Hebrews 11:14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And so what I want to do here is, um, is I want to go back to, to verse 10, which says, for he was looking, he Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So if you couple that verse, just a couple of verses before this, with, with the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, what, is, what does that mean? A couple of weeks ago, Zane preached on Noah. We saw what happened with Noah. We saw that the Lord was displeased with the sin that was in the world at that time. And so, what did he do? He destroyed the world by flood, except for Noah and his family. And then he repopulated the world. And he promised, he made a covenant with Noah. He promised never to destroy the world ever again by flood. So does anybody know what's going to happen? Does anybody know if, uh, if this world really is a, a firm foundation that we read about in verse 10? For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. These are the patriarchs. 1,800 years ago, they knew that this wasn't going to be forever. They knew that there was something great. They knew that the new Jerusalem was coming. For the people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? This world is going to be destroyed. This world is going to be destroyed by fire. So I thought that when Zane preached a couple weeks ago, he had this awesome illustration, right? God brought a hurricane in and so that we could see the rains falling. And I thought that was really cool, God. So, um, so I asked God, I said, hey man, we have that kind of relationship. I said, I would love for you to give me an illustration. I would love a nuclear holocaust right here so that we can, so that we can do this. So hang on. <laughs> It didn't work. But I think I know why. I think I know why. This is a letter from Peter. He says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, 
Carol, you were just talking about this before before the message today. Do you think that's happening right now? All you got to do is turn on your TV and, and, and you'll see scoffers who are coming in this, potentially the last days, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So this is people getting really impatient about the second coming, right? There are a lot of translations that say Jesus is coming soon. There's even some songs out there that say Jesus is coming soon. No, that's not what that word is. That word in the Greek is takus, and it means quickly. It doesn't mean soon. It means quickly. It means when he comes, he will come in the twinkling of an eye. He will come in, 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 instantaneously. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Preacher's aim. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. I'm pretty sure this is why he didn't fulfill my little, my little request. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's what God is doing with us here. That's what he's doing. He wants to justify all who call on his name. That's what he wants. Then he wants us to walk with him. What does faith do for you? It saves you. And we have a precious, amazing, merciful, gracious God who is giving us time here on earth to understand that. We walk with him through sanctification. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Remember what I said? Real fast. Takus. Greek. And then the heavens will pass away with the roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and, and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews is writing a story, fact, talking about people who lived 1,800 years before the birth of Christ, telling us that they knew that this was going to happen. Peter writes this to us 2,000 years ago. We are all waiting for that new heavens and the new earth. So, Hebrews 11:15. So, you're here. You're walking with God. You're being obedient. You're gaining faith. Walk, walk, walk. Verse 15 says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. When Jacob was looking for a wife for Isaac, he wouldn't let Isaac go because he didn't want Isaac to go back to that land and say, oh, you know what, this is nice. I think I'm going to stay here. He wouldn't allow it to happen. There's no going back. 
And it's the same way with us. You know, if, do you guys remember the days before GPS? Does anybody here, you have to be, I think, in your late 30s or 40s in order to remember the days of no GPS and having car maps. Well, so have you ever been driving along and you got lost and you're in a strange foreign land? I don't know, like maybe Georgia. And you're, 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 you're not sure where you are. It's night, it's raining, and you know, you've got your kids in the car, and you have no idea where you are. And then after, I don't know how long, half an hour, an hour, two hours, I don't know, you, you find a sign that says 95. You're like, oh, yes, 95. Drive out to 95, right? Are you going to then turn the car around and go get lost again? No. Oh. Absolutely not. And that's exactly what, that's exactly what this, this, this says. And you know what? When we are saved, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have put our old sinful desires away. We do not return to them. That's what this verse is talking about. We are, we are a new creation in Christ. So, what does faith do for you? We die in faith. What does that mean? As a believer, do you know where you're going? As a believer with faith, do you know where you're going? You're going to heaven. So Hebrews 11:16 says, "But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city." Think about that. What does it mean, though, that God is not ashamed to be called their God? It means that God was not ashamed to be called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob their God. But is God ashamed that you call him your God? I looked at that verse and I, I wondered. I, it, it made me think. And then... And then I realized, no, no. And I know why, and I know why, because in this very same letter in chapter two, we read this wonderful, amazing, spectacular verse. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Guess who that is? That's Jesus Christ. If you are saved, if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ for your salvation, he considers you to be a brother. For he who sanctifies God and those who are sanctified all have, all have one source, God. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to all my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. That's, that's, that's incredible. John 14, too. Jesus tells us, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That's where you're going. What does faith do for you? We die in faith. What a wonderful, amazing, incredible life. That's not to say that becoming a Christian, it's all flowers and rainbows and sausages. You know, Jesus says, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. But we know, we know we have the one true Savior in Jesus Christ. And we know that when we die, we are, we're going to go to heaven. So, if you look at this thing, right? These verses here, Hebrews 
11, 12 through 16 are, they're this. They're this. They're, they're these Rasta colors that we have here. The black represents sin that Jesus saved us out of. The red, Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. When we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, we are seen as righteous before God. We are washed in the blood of Christ. The green, in the green we grow. We are sanctified. We went from justification to sanctification. We walk in obedience. We obey what we read in Scripture, and we grow with Him. And then the yellow, the yellow is heaven. The yellow is where we know we're going to go as believers. Jesus came from heaven. Jesus left his home in heaven to come here to earth to save you. Don't deny it. Let's pray. Lord, we have your word in our hand. We have something that as believers we know is true. We have this amazing, amazing picture of salvation. We know, Lord, that you sent your son to die for us. We know that if we believe on his name, that we are we're saved, we're, we're seen as, as justified in your eyes. Lord, my prayer is that if there is anyone out there today who has heard this, who has heard the word of truth, that the Holy Spirit would kindle even the tiniest bit of faith that exists in their hearts and open them up so that they can respond to that word of truth, Lord. And Lord, for all of us who are here walking obediently, sanctification is, is the part of life that can be the most difficult sometimes, Lord. We look to you and we take one step at a time. We look to you and we ask you what it is that we should do. And we walk, Lord. We walk in obedience. And Lord, then we know where we are going to go when we die. We know that you have prepared a place for us. A wonderful, amazing, incredible place. A place that you left to come here to this earth so that we could be saved. Lord, you brought us into that incredible agape love that existed before the foundation of the universe between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Lord, you had no reason that I can see to create us and to bring us into that, but you did. And our job here, Lord, is to worship you, is to glorify you, and to revel in the fact that you have brought us into this amazing agape love. Lord, I ask that if there is anyone out there, anyone who hears these words, who feels this stirring, that they would come to, to Pastor Eddie or Pastor JJ or Pastor Zane or myself after the service and commit their lives to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.